the 18th parak of Meister Carbonus over here, um, two people are holding a knife. Right? Sounds like the name of a, a chapter of the Mishnah, right? Two people holding the knife. So it's the 18th parak, the 17th halacha, by the, uh, the 16th halacha. By the way, the next halacha is one of these major machlokuses, the Ravid and, and the Rambam. So let's look at it right now. You don't have Rivet in that edition you're looking at. That's the that's the drawback. The Machpili is great. Oops, I wrong wrong. But he didn't put in the Rivet. And then the the Korean is great because but it doesn't have the Olonosikalim. And the Frankel is great because it has everything. And it's all in small print and it's you know overwhelming, but whatever you, you Yeah, but we don't have the big Frankel here. We should have gotten the big Frankel. Yeah. Wait, nope, this is Tamina Musafir. Here we go. Man, what is this? Did you read the the Achris Dover in that the Frankel edition? Talks about all the different kiss beyond he went through and all of that. That was a big deal. Who's sending me things? Okay. No, this is not relevant for the sheer. Okay, so the the sixteenth halacha we're talking about slaughtering korbanos outside the temple uh, is considered uh, a sin, right? So you remember Hilcha uh, Shabbos, two people carry the load. If it's uh, something that requires two people, so they're both mechal Shabbos for carrying outside, you know, beyond the in Rishis Rabin. But if it's something that just a pen, right? And we're sharing the pen together, so we're dividing the 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 iser among two people, so it's not. We're not going to be punished for such a thing. So there's something similar uh, with that, with uh, handling the knife. A basic active sacrifice is the shechita. The same shechita you do for chulin is the shechita you have to do for kachim. If you know how to do shechita for chulin, you could do it for kachim. Another incentive for many of us to learn, especially kohanim. Many people aren't going to learn shechita, so they go to the temple, so they're going to hope that there are kohanim there who are skilled at this, who could do it for them. All right? And every Kohen Gadol has to know how to do Shechita also. There are many Kohanim who maybe get through life without ever learning how to Shecht, right? They'll just get someone else. They'll do other jobs. But the Kohen Gadol has to do Shechita many times in his life. So uh, we'll have to know. Yeah, Talmud Chacham knows how to do Shechita. You should at least practice Shechita once in your life. Have you done it before? Try it on a chicken. There's a lot less blood than an animal. Okay. You could learn it. Whatever. It's it's what it's it's God's commandment and... Uh, Maybe Rav Cook is right. Maybe we'll just stop doing shechita eventually in the future. Yeah, because that's what he—that's what he imagined. Because maybe God doesn't want people ideally to eat meat anymore. Maybe God doesn't want animal sacrifice. Okay, Chas Shalom. Well, Rav Cook didn't feel that way. So uh, it says here, Shnaim Shachazu Basakin. So two people are handling the knife. Veshachatu Bachutz, and uh, together they slaughter. Remember, this is in Hilchos Shechita, actually. You could take like a really long saw, go back and forth. As long as they're not pressing, they're just doing a back and forth motion. So they will be exempt from any punishment for slaughtering uh, without the temple. That means beyond the temple courtyard. Shnemar, Asher Yishchat, O Asher Yishchat. It means someone who would slaughter or someone who would slaughter. It's uh, twice in the Pasuk. It says someone who would slaughter a, a, an ox or someone who would slaughter a goat, whatever it may be. Echad It means a person who slaughters, and again, again, it's a person who slaughters. It doesn't say asher uh, yishchatu or yishchatu if it's a, the end of a sentence. It doesn't mean those who slaughter. It says he who slaughters. 
ואחד ששחט בחוץ, אף על פי שלא מתכוונים לשחוט קודשים אלו להשם. And one who did slaughter outside the temple. Even though he didn't intend this to be uh, to be before God. Okay? It, it was Kachim, but didn't make it, make it for God specifically. He's still liable. Why? Okay? This will be considered blood. He's liable for spilling this blood. He has spilled blood. And as we saw, it doesn't mean he's spilling blood as in bloodshed of humans, murder, manslaughter. It, it means he's spilling ritual blood improperly. Even though he thinks it's just regular blood that's slaughtered. It says, When a person slaughters kulin, that means meat, uh, he's slaughtering entirely for his own benefit, his own pleasure, not for any sacrificial purpose. So that blood is just wasted. And if it's blood of a wild animal or blood of a, a fowl, so that blood has to be covered. That blood is not, for example, caught in a sacrificial cup. Blood of a sacrifice is to be caught in the cup and applied to the altar. So this is obviously not a korban because he doesn't have a kohen or someone there with a cup trying to catch the blood for ritual purpose. Uh, he is therefore liable. He basically was slaughtering it in the style. He took these kachim and he's slaughtering it in the style of uh, hulin. He is still going to be punished for doing such a thing because this was kachim and he slaughtered it outside the temple, so now he's liable. Okay? It's an Isser Kharis, right? Yes, we saw that earlier before. Okay? Fine. Let's move on to the next halacha. This is this has, involves a major machlokas uh, Rambam and Rivet, as we just said. Uh, we could go into it. Uh, it's a really long, it's a hard to read Ravad, because he's making assumptions like the, Ram, like the Rambam. You see the Nosi Kalim there. A lot of them say that the way Rashi reads this Gemara, and uh, after him, the Kesef Mishnah and the Radvaz also, they like the Rambam's reading of this Gemara and the conclusion. But the Ravid has a totally different understanding of it. Like the Radvaz says, the Ravid disagrees on two major points with Rashi about the whole nature of this prohibition and what means to have something that's qualified. So let's see it inside. Uh, it's talking about doing something at night. A person... Uh, conducts ritual slaughter of kachim outside the temple, but also at night. Why is not? Why does night make a difference? Until the, until this point, we've only been discussing slaughter by day. Just to know, uh, technically speaking, the usual temple services are only conducted when by day. The only thing you do at night is guard the temple or burn whatever pieces of korbanos remain from earlier in the day. All right, but there's no new acts of slaughter after Shkia. Sun goes down, and also even blood that was, let's say, caught in a ritual cup. Second Shkia happens, it's all disqualified. The only thing you could put on the altar is sacrifices don't even properly processed before this point, but, you know, there's a lot to burn, so they've been waiting for their turn to go on the Mizbeach, and sometimes it's all night long, their Kohanim were working the night shift burning the Korbanos, but there's no slaughter at night in the temple. A person is held liable for this act of slaughtering the Kudshim outside the temple at night because regular slaughter for Hulin is, coach, is kosher beyond the temple. At the slaughterhouse, for example, I guess, uh, I don't know what they do at the kosher slaughterhouses. I haven't been there in this country. But if they have, you know, they have nice lights and all that, they can conduct ritual slaughter of animals 
even after Shkia. Do they do such a thing? I don't know. Maybe they don't have to. But it's something that is technically halakhically possible. And that's what people could do also if they want to eat a chicken at night. They're suddenly having a party, so they slaughter the chicken at night. The chain im ha'ala if a person then does the second stage, their first is shechting the korban, then there's actually burning the parts of the animal on the, this mizbeach that he's built. So he's using a mizbeach beyond the temple. Uh, so he does the second stage of bring the korban, he puts it on his altar and burns it on his altar at night. It had been slaughtered at night. That's one chiyuv. And now burning on the altar, yet another chiyuv. He's hit with two prohibitions. If he had slaughtered this animal within the temple courtyard at night, how he got away with this, I don't know, but just a case where somehow a person slaughtered an animal in the temple at night after the Kohanim had closed up shop. And then he burned it on the altar that he had built outside the temple, right outside the hill, for example. That's already called considered Shechitat Chutz. So he's exempt from doing such a thing. That which he burned on this altar, elevated. That which he elevated on this altar is something that already had been disqualified. How is it disqualified? There's no such thing as a kosher act of slaughter at night in the temple. So because he slaughtered in the temple at night, it's already disqualified. So it, it's inherently disqualified. And he then put it on his own altar. He's putting disqualified meat on the altar, so it, it, he's not going to be hit with another prohibition. This is where the Ravid, by the way, disagrees. The Ravid sort of asks, but when he slaughters something at night, it's already disqualified, so why would burning it on the altar at night that he had built be a second prohibition? Good question, right? Yeah, it's, that's, that's, the, that's the Ravid's question. The Ravid said, the Ramam just said, Slaughtered something in the temple at night. Oh, it's puzzle because there's no such thing as anything slaughtered in the temple. But this particular animal, the Ramam says, I can understand that there was an act of slaughter on this animal outside the temple because it's Kachim. So because you could slaughter Hulin outside the temple, this is it'll be hit with a pro, with a liability. And then burning it on his altar, also another liability. The Rav would say, Yeah, but it's still puzzle. It was Kachim. He did slaughter it outside. If it had been Hulin, it would have been a kosher shita, but it's not Hulin, it's Kachim. So it's a little bit contradictory here. And so too, let's say he had received the blood of this animal in a, a, a non-sacred vessel within the temple. So because he received the blood in a non-sacred vessel and then took that non-sacred vessel of the blood and applied it to his own backyard altar. Remember, applying the blood is also an act of sacrifice, but outside the temple, he should be hit with a prohibition. He'll, he won't be held liable for such a thing. <clears throat> wow. Why? It must be very dry here. Why? Because it had already been disqualified because it put in this disqualifying cup. Okay? So, you're, you see here that uh, there's what to disagree. I'll read. I'll read the Korean to make it easier because he just gives the bottom line, but then I'll read the rivet inside. And the rivet inside is a little bit harder, but Still good here. He they basically he latches on this line of the Rambam. Uh according to the Ravid, If he slaughters the first act of slaughter, he's patur. And also burning it on the Mizbeach at night, he's patur. It's forbidden, 
but he won't be hit with these two liabilities that Rama mentioned in the first sentence. By the way, uh, like we've seen before, the Rambam writes here, Ha'alaya. He, uh, this is the Shorsh, Ayin Lamid Silent Hey. <clears throat> so the, the name of this verb, he says with a Yud at the end, Ha'alaya, like Hodaya. But sometimes you have it, Ha'alaya, with the Aleph instead of a Yud, like Hoda'a. What's between Hoda'a and Hoda'ya? Really, one's a little bit more biblical Hebrew form, like the truer form, because there's a proper yud. There's no aleph in the shoresh. If you have a word like ha'ala'a or hoda'a, you're saying that the aleph is part of the shoresh. Usually, when you have a word like that, like nifla'a, the aleph is part of the shoresh. Although there are a few examples already in biblical and Mishnahic Hebrew where, even though there's supposed to be two different shoreshes, one's with an aleph at the end, one's with the hay, they're used interchangeably. Best example, lekrot and lekro. Lekrot means to happen, kufresh hay. And lekro means to read, kufresh aleph. Well, already, Chazal, when they're talking about uh, reading uh, Kriyashma and Halil, they use lekrot instead of lekro, with the, you know, the, the hay form. And already in uh, Parsha Shmos, nikra alenu, God has chanced upon us. Elohei Avrim, nikra alenu. In one case, it's written, nun kufresh hay, from the Shoresh Keri. And it just chanced upon Kufresh, like which is similar to Kufresh Hay, and sometimes with the silent Aleph, like called upon us, Kufresh Aleph. And the same thing with the Shoresh Pelamid Aleph and Pelamid Hay. Pele, differentiation. Some Rishonim take it, no, one, this is one Shoresh and that's one Shoresh. They mean totally different things, but there are examples where they're used inter interchangeably. So silent Aleph or silent Hay at the end of the, of the Shoresh is maybe an Afkamina, maybe not, but we see here. <clears throat> In our editions of the Rambam, it's with the Yud, right? But the people who wrote the commentary here used an Aleph. Okay, that's the first thing. So the Ravid disagrees on two points. Let me read you what the Ravid says, and uh, or I'll just tell you my argument of the Rambam Ravid outside, because I'll save time. We'll be able to cover more things. If one were to slaughter outside by day, and then burn the offering outside, okay? Slaughtered it by day, just like Rambam. We all agree on that one. The Korban was slaughtered outside the, the temple at day, and then burn the offering also on that Mizbeach, he should be liable for the latter. Right? Why? Let's ask why. He's liable for the second thing he did, burned it. But that it's already been disqualified the act of slaughter that was done during the day, right? So why, why, why is it that he's hit with the second prohibition? It's because there's a distinction between the disqualification of Shechit HaTzchutz and the disqualification of Shechitat Laila. He's allowing that if the disqualification is only Shechitat Chutz, then a person can be hit with another uh, prohibition of Halat Chutz. But if it's already been disqualified by night, the Korban's disqualified through its slaughter at night, then he cannot be hit with an, a further prohibition of Bachutz, something connected to Bachutz, let's say burning at Bachutz. I'll continue here. But isn't the latter act done with an offering that was already disqualified, okay, through the fact that it was slaughtered already outside? So the, the rival continues, if the slaughter was doubly disqualified, for example, it was by night, okay, and outside the temple. So it's already been outside, so it doesn't make it much worse, the fact that it is doing, he's doing the act of slaughter on the outside. Now let's read it inside. <laughs> inside, no pun intended. It's a very, it's a very interesting idea that the Ravid has just said here. Abba Avraham, Roshi, 
See, Chai Roshi. Once again, I can't understand what the Rambam is writing here. Ein tzurat halacha kefirusho v'lo kitamo. The form of this halacha is not the way he has explained it, and it's not the reason either. His reasoning is off. Let's grant this case. If he burned it in the day, right, this is the way the Ram applies, he should be chayav also, because at night the Rambam says he was chayav for burning it, right? So he should be, well, my not mean a night or day once it comes to burning the korban. If he did a shechita bachutz, regular case, during the day, and then burned it on the altar, once again, by day, he's burning something that's already been disqualified, yet he's still hit with the prohibition, right? Okay? But the zevach was already disqualified by the slaughter. Yet he's still chayav for burning it that very day outside the temple. So what's going on? It's not that something's been disqualified. This Corbin's been disqualified through this act of shechita, so now he's, he can't get hit by a second prohibition. He can. Mali chad psula dechutz, mali tre psule chutz. One psulchutz, two psulchutz, what does it matter to me? This has already been slaughtered bachutz, so it could burn it bachutz also, I'll get hit with the, with the punishment, but they're both psulim. Yet in this case, he he, is pro, he gets hit with the prohibition because it's daytime. If he were to actually slaughter Korban in the temple, but at night, perfectly cromulent slaughter, just five minutes too late, it's after Shkia, and then burned it Bachutz outside during the daytime, this korban has already been disqualified because it was slaughtered at night. It's a psul acher. Slaughtering say at night has ruined it already. So again, it can't be connected to psul When you slaughter by day outside the temple, then burn it by day, those are two psul So he's just continuing the savera. And there's that that's what the Torah was referring to. But once a korban has been slaughtered at night, it's ruined. There's no there's no other question what can be done. It doesn't matter when you burn it. He's patur from any punishment because this whole special prohibition of the Torah of Shutechutz cannot be applied because just the very act of slaughtering this thing at night already ruined it. It's disqualified because it's nighttime. So there's no issue of Shutechutz and there's no issue of Halayat Chutz. Wow. By the way, so there's there are many who agree with the, the Ravid by this case. You can look in the Rishonim. I'm just trying to say that we we have our our Gears of Rashi and the way the Kesef mission of the Radbaz, which we're not going to read in it now because that's not what we're trying to do. They they defend Rambam, or at least Rashi Rashi couldn't defend Rambam because Rambam was born after Rashi died. He was a younger contemporary of Rabbeinu Tam. The the point is that you can get this understanding of the way the Rambam has it by just reading our Gemara with Rashi. Okay. And so it's a good question. So what's the halacha? Like every time we have one of these things, a Sanhedrin will decide. Let's look at the next halacha. A person who does an act of malika to an oaf, to a bird, outside the temple is also exempt from punishment. And also if he burns it on the Mizbeach, also he's patur. What is malika? We said using the, 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 the nail 
of the thumb, sometimes some people say the finger, to break the back of the bird's neck. It is a unique form. There's no shkita of birds in the temple, and there's no malika of birds outside the temple. If you want to eat any type of bird, so you have to do a proper act of shkita to it. But the temple, the two types of bird offerings were always, whatever it says, they had their heads popped off with this uh, this thumb method. That's what the Gohanim had to do. So this is a unique form. If he does it outside the temple, he's just made a nevela. Outside the temple, anything with nimlock. That's a unique thing. The Kohan. The Chata Sa'of that the Kohanim eat has basically been nimlock. It had its head popped off from behind. It wasn't shechted. Normally that would be non-kosher. Uh, technically speaking, you could shecht with the thumb if it was sharp enough. If you sharpen your nail, we could, but you want to do that and you'd have to you couldn't do it in Malika. Malika is pressure. Okay? Malika is push the nail through the bird's neck. And Shita is running the sharp blade across the, the neck so in order to sever you know, the food pipe and the windpipe. Totally different things. But technically speaking, if you sharpen your nails enough, you could do that to even a, you know, even a, a chicken or, or a cow. Can you sharpen your nails like that? You have to grow them long and sharpen them properly. Nails are very difficult to sharpen, by the way. The material that they're made of, you could sharpen them, but they would just regularly they would they would dull very quickly. It's not like it's a Japanese steel knife that you sharpen it, it stays sharp for a very long time. You know, just because you could sharpen a material doesn't mean it stays sharp. You know what happens? Glass is a naturally erosive uh, is naturally eroded. How can you any any type of glass shard? How can you smooth it? Put it in water. If there's any type of motion in the water, it'll smooth the glass. Right? Well, round its edges. By the way, that's why you don't have to worry about recycling glass bottles. What's the easiest way to recycle a glass bottle? Put it back into nature. Yeah. Smash it. Smash, go to a rocky beach and smash it against the rocks. And the glass shards will get eroded back into sand by the waves. Like like the sand itself. Well, no, you get 30 algo rope back. You have to pay for that. Uh, because of the climate religion. I know, I know, yeah. This aluminum, the, the the Earth's crust is made of aluminum and silicon dioxide. Aluminum is aluminum that you use to make cans and other things. And silicon dioxide is glass. So, yeah, there's no reason to recycle these things. Just put them back into the Earth. That's where they came from. Because, I said, the climate religion. Okay, it's a climate tax because they believe in this, whatever. the It's a pagan religion that worships the Earth as though we are committing crimes against them, we have to therefore do some acts of penance for it. Next. Malak Bifnim Labachutz. He did a proper belika to this bird offering, but then burned it on his Mizbeach outside the temple. Chayav al Halaya. So that's that he is held liable for doing such things because he burned a korban outside the temple. Okay. Shamtalel Lotechlet says, There you shall burn your burnt offerings. And within the temple. So doing it beyond the temple is, is a sin. Let's say he slaughtered the bird offering in, in the temple. He's not supposed to slaughter a bird offering in the temple. He's supposed to do malika. He used a knife and slaughtered the bird and then burned it outside the temple on his altar. So he's exempt for that act. Why? Because what he already burned had already been disqualified through this act of slaughter. He basically, he what he burned on the altar is only something that was fit to uh was not was unfit already to be offered as a korban because it had been slaughtered. 
The person slaughters a bird offering outside the temple, actual slaughter, and then burns it on his altar outside of the temple. Now he's hit with two liabilities. Because slaughtering a bird outside the temple is kosher. Right? Normally he slaughters any bird outside the temple, it'd be kosher. And so that's like doing the Malika and Bifnim. And of course now the Ravid's going to disagree with the Ramam also on this point. Because the Ravid said, once you do an improper act of slaughter, you know, so or once you once you're burnt, it shouldn't have been whatever, it's already been disqualified. And it's not because of Hoots. So it's like that. So we read the right right here. Amar Ramzo Tom ain't botam. Okay. This Tom is not a reason. Okay. No, I don't I don't hold of it anyways. The only thing he's hit with if he slaughters a bird is what he would have been if he had done this to a behemoth. Okay. So uh yeah, you see, he continues his disagreement with the Rambam is uh true with regarding both behemoths and with um Ifis. You know how exactly he reads the Gemaras is uh it's a good question. So uh let that ends this parrot. Let's go into the next parrot. See. Basically, who the halacha follow? Ravid or Rambam? Whoever the Sanhedrin goes with, or maybe no opinion. Maybe it'll be a compromise. Remember, Ravid and Rambam are both deriving this from the Gemara, right? But the Gemara itself was a discussion among Chazal. There's disagreements there. How did Chazal resolve these difficulties? They take a vote. So everything will be put to a vote. I'd like to see how, how exactly they decide in the future. The ma'ale. Bachutz, uh, a person who burns a, a korban outside the temple, is only considered liable once he does it at the top of the altar that he builds. And by the way, what does the word ya'ale mean here? This is another addictive <laughs> lesson. We said the ma'ale. So that's a what? What form? It's not a pa'al. It's not a pl. It's a it's a it's a hifiel, right? The ha'alot, not la'alot. The ha'alot. The problem is for this verb and other uh, and other verbs where the the pay that means the first layer of the shorish is an ayin or a chet or a hay, not an olive. Ayin, chet, or hay, what's called an okronit. And the last layer of the shorish is a silent hay. The future tenses of the hifiels look just like the future tenses of the pa'als. Ya'alek could mean he will go up or he will bring something up. He will go up or he will elevate, right? That's what the word ya'alek means over here. You don't know. You only know it from context that it's a hifiel. And by the way, yaaseh also could technically be. Normally, you and I think of yaaseh as he will do or he will make. But if there was a hifiel of laasot, like lahaasot, have you ever heard a word? Lahaasot is a nifal, and laasot with the dagation in the in the sin is the peel of laasot. You ever heard of it? Laasot, like lichabot. What does it mean? Laasot means cause other people to do. It's like a miaseh. Of giving tzedakah, a person who raises tzedakah gets credit for doing that mitzvah. So the, I don't know of a hifiel of laasot would be lahaasot. Yeah, they drink that or not? They drink You've seen that? No, I said laasot with a with the peel or lahaasot with the which is nifal. I'm talking about lahaasot, which is a peat with the, which is a hifiel. But either way, the hifiel of of laalot lahaalot in the future tense looks exactly like. The pa'al in the future tense. Ani a'ale means I will go up or I will bring something up. Hu ya'ale, like we just see right here, to mean he will himself will go up or he will bring something up. 
elevate. So in this case, it's a hifiel, even though, like I said, for this particular type of verb, if they have a shorish like this, which starts with hey, chet, or ayin, and ends with the silent hey, you have this confusion. Very interesting. Okay. So he's only chayav once he brings it to the top of Mizbeach, when he burns it there. If he burned it next to Mizbeach, he didn't get hit with the second prohibition. Let's say instead of using an altar built out of stones, he used a sela, a gigantic stone. What others call matseva. The Rambam says it's not a matseva. Rashi says the matseva prohibited by the Torah is what? A matseva is one stone. Right? The, the whole idea. We're used to Rashi's definitions of what an Evan Maskit is. Evan Maskit is, you know, cut stone floor for pounding down on. And uh, Bama and Matsevas. There's Machlokas between Rashi and Ramam exactly how to define these. Most people are familiar with the Rashi's one. Well, maybe we'll have a sure about that. Either way, he says one solid stone or rock, what others call Matseva. Basically, it's used as an altar, but it's not no pieces, like a Stonehenge or something like that, and perhaps what the Avos used to do. Right? So the Rambam doesn't know that way. When he says Matseva, he says Matseva is like a, a platform for bowing down. Everybody else says a Matseva is what the Rambam just described here. One single stone, Mizbeach. Shein karui korban, ela al Mizbeach. It's only a korban if it's on an altar. Mizbeach means it's composed of pieces. By the way, how did they make a Mizbeach in the olden days? Most common Mizbeach was a pile of stones, right? And then it's basically cemented together, so it has horns and everything in the form of a Mizbeach. But the first Mizbeach that Moshe Rabbeinu built uh, for the Mishkan, well, well he, under his direction, the B'tzal Mizbeach, how was that built? Not like the ones at Harsinai. At Harsinai, they built Mizbechoth out of stones. They piled them up and made a Mizbeach. But the one for the for the Mishkan was not like that. How was it made? Well, it was made out of wood covered in bronze. And the Chazal say it was filled with sand. But that's not in the Pasuk. Okay? It says, Mizbacha Demar, Mizbacha Vanin. But the one for the altar, for the for the Mishkan, is specifically described as made out of wood covered in bronze. So Chazal say to Mekayim, in order to fulfill this act of, you know, making it an earthen Mizbeach, it must have been filled with sand and stones. Wherever they went, they filled it up. So it's a good question. By the way, that's a Mizbeach. Mizbeach has components. But to use one solid stone, so if a person did such a thing, so he's not obligated for this act of uh, burning the korban on this thing because it's not a halachic Mizbeach. Even though it's beyond the temple, he's using it as a place of worship. It's his bama, and he slaughters there. Yeah, that's that's prohibited, but he's not he's not hit with another prohibition. He doesn't have to bring a second chatas for this act of burning it on top of this uh, stone. Even Noach It says Noach built an altar to God. All right, he built an altar to God, and that's what you're supposed to do. That's considered a mizbeach. It has to be built. If it's a single stone, it can't have it can't you can't say it was built. By the way, what does it say? With the matseva, what's the verb? Lahatsev, vayatsev, or um, another word. Uh, it says or or harama, like the harim. That's another word used to do it. Setting it up, you know, tilt, and you can't just go over to a big rock that's there. Basically, they move the rock. They put it in a way that obviously it's not its natural position. If it was on its side, so they lift it upwards. Okay, in a less, uh, I guess, uh, thermodynamically possible position. Normally, things that if they have a rock that's taller than it is wide, what would happen to it? It would tip over in natural circumstance. That's the thermodynamic less energy. So 
picking up a, an altar like this, like a matzeva means to pick it up, okay? And also, it's only considered hit with this iser if he did it for God. That says, That's be for God. If he did it, by the way, with intentions for some sort of other entity, a non-god, and a vodazara, it would be an iser skila, right? But if he does it for God, it's just an iser kares. So by the way, is it that bad? Well, all the isurei misa are, are kares, but apparently it's not that bad. Okay, So the, the madriga is like, any iser misa is worse than stam iser kares. Why? Because to get out of the kares of an iser misa, when a person violated one of the isurei misa, he's going to be hit with kares. Unless Basedom punishes him. How does Basedom punish him? With death. But if a person has a kares hanging over his head because something he did, and it's just an iser malkus, or sorry, it's it's a uh, it's remedied by Malkus, so the basin doesn't have to kill him. They give him the Malkus, and now he's safe from the car race. So it's a lesser prohibition. Hold on one second. Okay. Uh, I think we should do one more halacha. Are you coming with us, by the way, after this? Special guest is coming. Yeah. Okay. I want to, I have personal reasons to go, so we're going to make this shorter here. Further, he's only hit with the prohibition or liability for burning something that itself was fit for the Mizbeach. So you're supposed to burn on the Mizbeach. Like a burnt offering. A person who elevates a burnt offering. Just like an Ola is fit to be burned on the fire. So too, anything else that could have been burned on the fire, that's what he is held accountable for if he burned bachutz. So now the Chazal said there's exceptions. Uh, so, by the way, I just have Mikanam Maru in my printed edition. Uh, he's talking about the sages, but do you have the word Chachamim in there? Third halacha in 19th parak, Mikanam Maru, Chachamim. That's why the sages said, Hazoreket Hadam, O Amaktir Evrei Ola. O Emurim, O Kometz, O Levona, O Ktoret, O Minchat Kwanim, O Minchat Nesachim, O Nasech Shloshet Lugin Yayin, O Shloshet Lugin Mayim, Bachut Chayav. They said, whoever burns any of these things that normally were burned on this Beach in the base of the Mikdash, so he'd be held liable. What is it? The blood that goes on the Mizbeach. Maktir Evreola, burning the pieces of the Ola, the entrails, the Kometz, that's the, the, you know, the handful of flour that's taken from the, from the meal offering. The Levona, the frankincense, that's part of the meal offering. The Ketores, that's not burnt on the outer Mizbeach, it's burnt on the inner Mizbeach, but still burnt in fire. O Minchas Kohanim, any Mincha that a Kohen would bring is entirely burnt, it's not eaten. O Minchas Nesachim, the Minchas Nesachim are Minachos that accompany larger Korbanos of meat. Also, those aren't eaten by Kohanim. O Minasech Shloshef Luhim Yayin, person who pours three log of wine on the altar. Right, that's a that, that's a regular libation. Wine is never drunk in the temple. Wine is a korban; it's always put on the altar. As a matter of fact, it's forbidden for Kohanim to drink wine. Right, that'd be a terrible sin. Uh, or three lugs of water. Okay, it's about three liters, by the way. A log, as we saw, is just about a liter. Why is water burned on the mizbeach? Well, it's not burned, but it's poured also like a libation on on sukkahs. If he did this bachutz chayav shnemar lo yivi enu la sototo, he would not bring it. To Hashem to break it a korban. Whatever is acceptable within the temple, 
So he's liable for bringing that outside the temple. Last halacha. But if a person were to sprinkle leftover blood in uh, out beyond the temple, what's the shari means? He caught the coin, caught the blood in a sacrificial cup, and then let's say it's a chatas. He put it on the mizbeach the way he's supposed to. There's a lot of extra blood left. That's shari hadam. That blood is already, it's been, service has been done already. So if he were to then apply that to some outer Mizbeach, even if it's a type of blood that had to be sprinkled on the inner Mizbeach or on the Parochas, right? There was there was a certain Korbanos that the blood was taken into the actual temple edifice and put on the outer, on the inner altar and also sprinkled in front of the Ark of the Covenant and on the Parochas, remember, like on Yom Kippur, right? says, Rikat Shari Adam, Shari Mitzvahim. The throwing this extra blood, usually it's spilled out onto the Mizbeach or some other place, that's just leftovers of the mitzvah, and it's not ma'akif. The mitzvah had already been done. So that if he'd taken that out to the Mizbeach and taken it to his own Mizbeach, he wouldn't have been hit with uh, a prohibition. If his libation of water or wine is less than these three lobe, and that's done bachutz, he's exempt. Whether it's uh, most days of the year or the days of Sukkot, when there's an actual water libation. Because it's less than the minimum shiur of these things. Okay? So that's not the type of thing he could have done in the actual base of Mikdash, so he's not going to be hit with a prohibition when he does it beyond. And then he says other things. Burning besar chatas, besar asham, besar shlamim, those are all supposed to be eaten. So if he burns that on his altar outside the temple, uh, he's also not going to hit hit with a prohibition. Shari menachos, the part of the menachos that the Quranim eat, that's not supposed to be burned on the on the mizbeach or lechem upon him, for example. Those are all things that are eaten. So if he burns those on his mizbeach outside the temple, he's not going to be held liable. Okay, we'll stop it here so we can go do what we have to do. Uh, don't forget to share your questions and comments. Close the prayer that we see the rebuilding of the temple speedily in our days. Destruction of Israel's enemies. Shalom, Wini Sahom, Shabbat Shalom. Be good. We would like to encourage our viewers to share these videos with friends and send in your responses. If you would like to obtain Birkon Nusach Eretz Israel or invite the rabbi for a speaking engagement, please email us at office at machonchilo.org.